Let's turn to John chapter 1, verse 43. Again this week, I'm thankful that we can be prepared for the time when we open God's Word, singing songs about our Christ, like we've sung this morning. John chapter 1, verse 43. says this, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, as we enter into this time now where we stop life and we open up your word, I pray that you would feed us, that you would inspire us to embrace Jesus Christ all the more, and that you would inspire us to tell others about this one whom Moses and the law wrote about and who the prophets wrote about, and that through that testimony, people would come to know you and become right with you and connected with you for now and forevermore. Amen. Well, I'm a little bit sad this morning because we're coming to the end of John chapter 1. This chapter, (laughs) this chapter is amazing. If you consider the things that we've talked about in this chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we see in John 1.14, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that Word, He's the true light which pierces the darkness. And the darkness has not ever overcome it, nor will the darkness ever overcome it. We've seen that just in the first 18 verses of John 1. Then we see John the Baptist continually pointing people away from himself to Christ. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. I am the voice in the wilderness calling people out, preparing the way for the Messiah, the promised one of God from the Old Testament. And then we see that John the Baptist is encountering Jesus for the first time outside of their mother's womb, right? And he says to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. (laughs) And right there we see that Jesus Christ is the substitutionary Lamb that will atone for our sins 
and He takes away our sins. We've seen that in this chapter. Then we see where Jesus encounters uh, Andrew, and Andrew runs to his brother Simon says, we found the Messiah, the one that we've all been waiting for. We have found him. And we talked about the truth that, no, 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 they didn't find him. He found them, right? And we see that Simon gets a new name. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter in Greek, which in English means rock. So Jesus renames him on the spot. So we've seen some incredible truths here. And I've called us each Sunday morning after this to embrace Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one from the Old Testament that is the only solution to our great dilemma, and that's that we are sinners and we need the grace of God to be saved. And lo and behold, in John chapter 1, we see God's grace, full and clear and true. So now we come to the last section of this chapter, and we're going to see yet again some more powerful truths that will put an exclamation point on this chapter before we proceed on in our series through the first three chapters of the book of John. So it's not like chapter 2 and 3 are low grade compared to 1, but man, what a chapter 1 is. And I can't wait to get into these next ones. So here we go. We're, we're starting with John 1:43, And we see that the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Now he's already found John, Andrew, and now he's got Peter in the fold, right? So now he's going to Galilee and he found Philip. Now Jesus did the finding in this one clearly. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. I want to tell you, as we go through this sermon this morning, I promise you, no doubt about it, Jesus says those same words to you. Follow me. This isn't unique. When you encounter Jesus Christ in the Word of God, I believe fully that He is perpetually saying, follow me. So I want to ask you this morning as you go through this to consider, have you followed Jesus? Or is he whispering to you, come on? And how would you respond this morning? So Jesus says to Philip, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, so they're all in the same region. And here, Jesus takes the place of John the Baptist, right? Because before, John the Baptist is pointing people out, pointing people, Jesus out to people. Now here, Jesus is the one saying, follow me. John the Baptist is not involved in this relationship that's being established. And we're going to watch John the Baptist dissipate and kind of vanish from the scene. He pops up every now and then in John again, but he is largely reduced to the guy that we remember in John chapter 1. So Christ does the calling from now on, and he will always say to his disciples, come and follow me. The baton is passed from John to Jesus. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, so we can see right there that there's no weighing. This was the point of last week's sermon. There was no considering and calculating, do I want to follow Jesus? It's a follow me, and there's a following that happens. And now Philip goes on uh, to Nathaniel and begins the process of evangelism. How are we doing? Do I need to get one of these? Let me try to switch.
I will yell. This, I'll, I'll, I'll scream like John the Baptist here. <laughs> All right. So Philip goes to find Nathanael. And Philip says to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So I want you to remember, what did Andrew go and say to Simon? He said, we have found the Messiah. And remember, that's not a flat statement. That's not a, hey, we found this guy called the Messiah. We need to go check him out. Would you come with us? No, we have found the Messiah. Well, here we see that Philip says basically the same thing. He says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote about. And you need to understand that when Nathanael hears this, this is a man who is training to be a rabbi, we believe. So Nathanael knows his Old Testament very, very well. And so when here comes Philip to say, hey, that guy, the one that's been written about from Genesis to Malachi... We found him. He is, he is here. I don't hear anything. Do we have like a main power switch we can just kill it? We'll do it the old-fashioned way. All right, come back. All right, we're okay. Come right here. We're going to be all right, technology or not. So here comes Philip to Nathaniel saying, you know who the Old Testament is all about. We have found him. And Nathaniel, we'll look at his response here in a moment, but he's got to start having the gears turning hard in his mind. And so when we see this phrase, we have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, we can do a quick survey of some New Testament passages that would substantiate Philip's claim. Consider Luke 24:27. Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, encounters two disciples who are down in the dumps. Their heads are down. They're walking around kicking rocks down the road because they're bummed out because their Messiah, the Christ, was killed. He's dead. They have not yet embraced the full reality of the resurrection of the Christ. And so they're down and they encounter this person. And it's the resurrected Christ. And Jesus says, why are you guys down? And they say, oh, we're down because uh, we thought he was the Messiah, but he's dead and now we don't have any hope. We don't know where we're going to turn to next. And Jesus reveals to them who he is, and it says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We have found him of who Moses in the law wrote and who the prophets wrote. Jesus says, I am the one that all of those writings in the Old Testament are about. John 5, 46 and 47, we've read this verse several times in, the, in this sermon series. Jesus says, For if you believed Moses, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? 
So Jesus is in the Old Testament through and through. The Old Testament is like John the Baptist. It points to Christ non-stop. Deuteronomy 18.15, we looked at this as well. The Lord your God, Moses is writing, and God, God says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And we could go on and on. We can see the Messiah in Genesis chapter 3. We can see the Messiah in 2 Samuel 7. We can see the Messiah in the Psalms, especially Psalm 2. I mean, it goes on and on. We can see the Messiah in Malachi chapter 3. So the entire Old Testament is riddled and filled with Christ. And here Philip acknowledges such to Nathanael. Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> What's behind that statement? That's loaded. We need to unpack that for a moment. Nathanael here reveals to us that he is the first true skeptic of Jesus Christ. Are you skeptical this morning of who Jesus Christ is? Do you have the heart that Nathanael had? Can anything good come from Nazareth? He's a blunt man, right? He's candid. He'll bring it to you and tell you how it is. Kind of like that. Jesus kind of liked that as well. But there's evidence here that Nathaniel's got great disdain towards Nazareth. What's up with that? Perhaps it's because Nazareth was a really, really wicked town. Jesus didn't grow up in the plush suburbs of Jerusalem. No, he was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. And the area of Nazareth was, in a commonly, it was commonly referred to as the Galilee of the Gentiles because it had as many as seven pagan deities that were worshipped in that province by the people that lived there. That's where Christ grew up. And Nathaniel's just in what he's saying. Can anything good come from there? That's a pagan place. Nazareth was considered second only to Samaria in ill repute. It was, it was a den of iniquity. And Nazareth was near to Nathaniel's hometown of Cana, probably maybe 20 miles away. And perhaps there was a rivalry between the two towns. Uh, maybe it would be like us saying, Glenrose? Can anything good come from Glenrose? Where's Tyler? Sorry, Tyler. We, we're... But, but that's what it's like. Maybe there's some rivalry between these two towns. Maybe we need to substitute Brownwood in there for that. How about that? Maybe y'all are about to say Abilene. I don't know. So, so Nathaniel is registering that there is absolutely no way the one of whom Moses wrote about, the one that all the prophets told us of could come from Nazareth. No way. You know, Nazareth was insignificant in the Jewish culture. It's not prophesied of in the Old Testament at all. The Messiah was to come from Bethlehem. So what's going on with Nazareth? We don't know exactly. Tonight I'll talk about some possibilities as we get into some of the names of Jesus that were given. But let's look at what Philip says to this, can anything good come from Nazareth? He says, come and see. No debate. He's run and said, behold, we found the Messiah. And he says to this response, this negative crass response, hey, come and see. 
And he'll let Jesus do the convincing. There's a lesson there for us in our evangelism. We don't need to go bowl people over and knock them in the teeth with our Bibles. We need to show them the Bible. We need to give them the truth of the Bible. But we need to say to them, here's the truth. Come and see. It's not a debate. We're not trying to win them over. We're trying to present the truth and allow Jesus Christ to convince them. That's the beauty of Christianity. Other world religions, it's beaten into you. But we just say, here's the truth, come and see. And I encourage you as you aggressively evangelize, let's be bold, let's be aggressive, let's be humble and loving, let's show the truth, and let's beckon people to come to the feet of Jesus and let him do the proving. So evangelizing is not a debate. The truth of the Lord will bring people to salvation. So let me stop and make some application here for a moment. I I believe it's certain that there's someone in this room this morning that's skeptical of Jesus. In fact, we've all had a point in our life where we are a skeptic. So that's, you're, you're not unique in that you're skeptical. Everybody is skeptical at some point, and Jesus convinces those that he calls to him. So this morning, are you skeptical of Jesus? Are you skeptical of this Bible and that it really applies to you and really has significance in your life? Well, I beckon you to come and see. And I beckon you to come and see this morning as we go through the rest of this passage. I beckon you to come and see tonight. We're going to look at some incredible things tonight. I beckon you to come and see on Wednesday nights as we go through discipleship classes. I beckon you to come and see as we finish through this series of the first three chapters of John. Just come and see. And you will see that He is good and He is true and He is right. Now, you don't merely need to take our word. We're fallen people. I'm a fallen man. And I'm going to present you Jesus Christ as clear as I possibly can. But I am a fallen man. I cannot present Jesus to you like Jesus can through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you need to know that. I'm striving hard to be like him. There's many here that are doing that. But you need to ultimately see Jesus Christ in the Bible. And that's who you need to come and see and follow immediately. So we try to present him well. But you come to the Bible and you see. This is what Andrew uh, said to, what Jesus said to Andrew when Andrew, remember last week, he said, Where are you staying? Jesus said, Come and see. That's what he says every time. And Jesus Christ is saying right now in our midst, Come and see. And for some of us, it's Come and see again. Let's renew this vision, this understanding of who I am. So before we move on, let me just say, that it is a privilege that we have to open these scriptures and to look into this passage in John and to connect this with the Old Testament. Nathaniel didn't have that privilege yet. He didn't have the New Testament pointing him to the Old Testament. And he had to believe based on the testimony of Philip and an encounter that he's about to have with Jesus Christ. So count yourself privileged that we have the full testimony of the old and the new to put all of this together now let's go to verse 47 jesus saw nathaniel coming toward him and said of him behold 
an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. This is Jesus' response to, can anything good come from Nazareth? So what does Jesus mean by, in whom there is no deceit, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit? First of all, we see that he refers to Nathanael as an Israelite. And the nation of Israel descends from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We read about Jacob in Genesis 28. Well, Jacob is given a promise in, verse, in chapter 28 of Genesis that I read, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you your offspring shall be all the families of the earth, and they shall all be blessed. Same promise he made to Abraham. And so here we have this connection. Jacob is the one that's going to be blessed with this multitude of nations. Well, God renames Jacob what? Israel. Israel means strives with God. Remember, Jacob wrestled with this figure in the Old Testament. We discover that he wrestled with God. And so God renames him, not Jacob anymore. You're Israel, for you have strived with God. And boy, is that a picture of Israel from then on, and is that not a picture of us? We strive and we contend with God sometimes, don't we? And so Jacob, you need to know the meaning of Jacob as well. Jacob means he takes by the heel. Remember he and Esau are in his mother's womb and he grabbed his heel? It's also uh, defined as he deceives or he cheats. So now we have an Israelite in Nathanael whom there is no deceit. Well, Jacob, there was deceit, and Jacob's name is Israel. So we've got a unique guy here in the Israelite history, in Nathanael. And so Jesus says, Nathanael has no deceit, yet he is an Israelite. Well, let's look at what Jesus says and what John the Baptist says to some of the Pharisees, who are no doubt Israelites as well. Matthew 12:34, John the Baptist says this to the Pharisees, You brood of vipers! How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. They're deceitful. Do you see this? They speak good, but in their heart, there's evil. Nathaniel didn't have that. Nathaniel's bold. Can anything good come from Nazareth? So there's no hypocrisy in Nathaniel. Jesus says this to the hypocrites, Matthew 15, 7 through 9. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus hates hypocrisy. You see that all through the Old Testament. He sees no hypocrisy in Nathaniel. There's no deceit in his mouth. What you see is what you get. Jesus, in Matthew 23, he pronounces seven woes, woes on the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
Nathaniel doesn't have that. He's not a whitewashed tomb. He's what you see is what you get. And it's as if Jesus is saying, hey, here's a sinner, but I can work with him. Because there's no deceit in him. I don't have to unravel this hypocrisy that the Pharisees do. And by the way, do you notice that Jesus doesn't ever try to change or convert the Pharisees? They're hypocrites. They're gone. But he sees in Nathaniel an opportunity to build on a man that has no deceit in him. So this morning the question is, are you a deceitful person? When Jesus looks at you, does he see hypocrisy? Are you a whitewashed tomb on the outside with rotten, decaying bones on the inside? And the call is to not be a hypocrite, to not be deceitful. Be authentic. Don't fool yourself by trying to fool others as to who you are. Jesus saw a real guy in Nathaniel and said, I can work with him. And there's good news here because Nathaniel's not perfect yet, right? Jesus says, I can work with him because there is no deceit in him. So I want to say this morning that we need to be tenacious about killing hypocrisy in our lives. Hypocrisy is deadly. It got the Pharisees' woes pronounced upon them by Jesus Christ. Let's be Nathaniel. Let's at least be raw and true, but let's don't cover up and try to be someone that we're not. Let's be real and authentic, especially with one another. So now we go to verse 48. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Powerful. Clear presentation here of the deity of Jesus Christ. No man can see someone from afar off under a tree and name him. Jesus Christ is God. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And Jesus displays here clearly his omniscience and only God is omniscient. We see this throughout the book of John. I just surveyed John real quick. I probably left some out, but look at this. Jesus knows the hour in which he is to be crucified. Over and over it says his hour had not yet come. And then Jesus prays in John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son might glorify you. So he's omniscient in knowing when the hour of his death is to come. Jesus foretells the nature of his own death. We'll see that in John chapter 3. He will be lifted up. Jesus knows the woman at the well and her background. Jesus knows the identity of his betrayer, Judas, all along. It's never surprised. Jesus knows that Lazarus has died before they get to him. Jesus foretells Peter's three-time denial. And Jesus even foretells Peter's martyrdom in the way in which he's going to die at the end of the book of John. So through and through we see the deity of Christ, and that's why John was inspired to spend so much time in the first 18 verses explaining to us the word was God, Jesus Christ is the Word, the Word became flesh, and God has dwelt among us. And we see here evidence of John 1, 1 through 18 happening when Jesus in his omniscience saw Nathanael under the fig tree. What's significant about a fig tree? I won't unpack everything, but the fig tree is a very significant place in the history and in the lore of Israel. 
But it was a common place for rabbis in training or rabbis to sit under and pray under a fig tree. And it, we think that Nathaniel might have been a young rabbinic student and perhaps he was sitting under this fig tree praying. Now listen to this. A common prayer for Jews at that time, especially the rabbis, was to pray for what? The Messiah to come. And so it's very possible. I'm not quoting you scripture. I'm giving you my opinion based on some study of what a whole bunch of other people have studied. So this is not, thus saith the word of God. But it's very likely that he's a young rabbinic student sitting under a tree praying for the Messiah to come and Jesus saw him under that tree praying and now he comes to Jesus and knows that there's only one person that could know what he was praying for and that is the Messiah himself. And we'll see evidence of this when we look at his response to what Jesus told him. But let me just stop and say, like those rabbis and those Israelites of that day that were praying for the coming of the Messiah. We too need to be praying very, very specifically for the coming of the Messiah. But we pray for the second coming. Do you do that? I'm going to tell you, there may, there's not a day that goes by that I don't pray and ask the Lord to come again. Do you do that? We, we live in this world with a certainty, a promise, a guarantee that Jesus is coming again. They had a certainty back in this time that the Messiah would come. And we need to be praying all the same. Now, here's what I do. I don't just check out of the world and say, Lord, come again. Just, just take me. Just, just deal with all this. I pray, Father, would you send your Son as promised today? But if you don't choose to do that today, would you give me the strength to honor you and to worship you with every breath that I take and everything I do at work and every encounter I have with people in the community and every thought I have? If you're not going to come today, would you still enable me to thrive spiritually for your glory in secret as well as in public? So we need to be praying like these Jewish rabbis did at that time for the second coming of our Messiah. That's worship, and that's how, in fact, the book of Revelation ends. If you look at the very last verse in Revelation, Come, Lord Jesus, Amen. That's how John finishes Revelation. So I encourage you to pray faithfully that Jesus would come again. So if Nathaniel had been in prayer and was praying for the coming Messiah, this would make him a true Israelite, like Jesus said. And in Nathaniel's mind, only the Messiah himself could know what he was praying. And so Nathaniel concludes with a profound statement. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Salvation happens right there for Nathaniel. And we get to look in on it and see where he says, follow me to one. That one goes to someone and says, we found him, come and see. He comes and sees and he professes, you are the Son of God the King of Israel. Many in this room have had the moment where you've discovered that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I'm thankful that that's true. Just stop for a moment and thank Jesus that he said to you, follow me, and he gave you a heart to do it. And there's some in this room that are still skeptical, still wondering about this Jesus, and he's saying, follow me, and maybe you've heard, 
I say, come and see, because the end of the deal is you must say Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the King of Israel. So would you do that today as we continue here in this passage? Verse 49, we're coming to the end. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Nathanael acknowledges Jesus' deity. And here we see three names given to Jesus. Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel. And I've done a survey of John 1, and in that I have found what I determined to be 14 names or titles given to Jesus Christ. You might find a few more, I don't know, I'm I'm trying to be conservative. There's 14 unique designations given to Jesus in the first chapter of the book of John. And we're going to look at those 14 tonight. Can't do it here, don't have time, but we're going to unpack those 14 names and see what they have for us by way of meaning in 2012. So I urge you to come tonight so that you can get into that. Let's go to verse 50. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And we need to know that the Gospel of John, from this point forward, starting with next Sunday's sermon, will reveal to us 37 miracles that Jesus does. Maybe this is a 38th, because he knew Nathaniel under the fig tree. But the rest of the book of John is doing what John chapter 1 set it up to do to proclaim Jesus Christ as God. And now we're going to see evidence through miracles and signs and wonders throughout the rest of the book of John, um, what those 37 miracles are. And now we go to 51. And this is where we'll end. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, as you read that, you need to know, you need to get in the mind of a Jewish man, Nathaniel, right around the turn of the millennium. And you need to know that he knows his Old Testament well. And you need to know that Nathaniel knows Genesis chapter 28, 10 to the end, that I read in our time of Scripture reading. He knows Jacob's dream with his head on a rock. And here Jesus stuns him, no doubt stuns him by saying, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is a reference to Jacob's ladder. And so here's what Jesus communicates to Nathanael. Jesus the Christ, the Son of Man, will be the one upon whom the angels ascend and descend. So from this we see that the legendary ladder in Genesis 28 is actually a person. Jesus Christ, the ladder of God. And what Jacob could only dream about with his head upon a rock is now reality. What Jesus was saying to his disciples is, he is Jacob's dream fulfilled and come true. Jesus is proclaiming here to be the only way to heaven. Does that trigger a verse in your head? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus Christ is the link between heaven and earth. He is the link between 
You and God. Me and God. No other way. No works that we can do. We can't build a tower of Babel to heaven, can we? We need the ladder, Jesus Christ, to get us from here to there. Jesus says this in John 3:13, "No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of man. He's the ladder. Do you see that this morning? Come and see. And I say to you, yes, follow him, but get on this ladder and climb. So we see here, yet again, you know what uh, Philip said, we have found him of whom Moses and the law wrote about and the prophets. Last week, uh, Andrew said, we have found the Messiah. So we see here in very clear, vivid terms, Jesus Christ is all through the Old Testament. We cannot neglect the Old Testament. We read the Old Testament today to be more informed as we see Jesus in the New Testament. So we read Genesis 28 to understand this ladder. So now that we can understand John 1.51, where Jesus is the ladder that we get from here to God on. So in conclusion, let me say that sin separates us from God, and we, we need this ladder. Jesus Christ is the way to God. He's the only way to God. Have you seen and beheld the ladder? Are you on the ladder? Are you climbing the ladder? Or are you skeptical? And are you walking around the base of that ladder, calculating it and weighing it and looking up at it and wondering if it's worthy of you to even get on? I'm going to tell you, there is no other way to God the Father than through God the Son. There's no other way. And I urge you to consider this morning the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ Himself, and come and follow Him all the way back to God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we pause now to thank You for inspiring John to write Your truth. And I thank You, Father, that You have brought us here this morning to consider the truth of Jesus Christ. And I pray now, Father, that You would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe, and feet to follow, and mouths to profess the truth of Jesus Christ. First to you, and second to people that we come into contact with. Father, help us to believe this truth, and then help us to worship you by running and telling people, we have found the Messiah. And we pray that that would all be done so that you would be glorified, And we pray that in the midst of all that, you will save people so that when you do come again, when you send your Son, Jesus Christ, again, there will be a whole lot more joy and a whole lot less fear. Father, wash us with this truth this morning. Convict us of our sin. Show us our solution in Jesus Christ and cause us to believe. And I pray this in His name. Amen.